Hello and welcome to edition number 1861 of the Whitney Talking News which we're recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 29th of April and it's good to be back. I'm Peter B and I edited this edition and beside me at the recording controls, suitably distant, is Gavin Smalley. Now this week we've got items from Whitney, Woodstock, Chipping Norton, Burford and many more places in our area concerning the withdrawal of police station front desks, a new post office, Chipping Norton's busy fire crew and a remarkable ten-year-old golfer and many more. Our two readers this evening are Valerie Palmer and Nigel James. So, let's have our first story about the withdrawal of front desk services in local places, Valerie. Local police stations. Yes, this is in Whitney. Closing down. Review decides the front desk of Whitney Police Station will shut due to changing ways. The front counter at Whitney Police Station is among three in the county set to permanently close. The Welchway counter joins those in Bicester and Kidlington on the list for shutting from August 30th. These counters have already been closed since March 2020 due to COVID-19, with the exception of Kidlington, which did reopen following an initial closure. Prior to the pandemic, the Whitney front counter was open from 10am to 6pm Monday to Friday. Commenting on the changes, which were subject to public consultation, Thames Valley Police, TVP, said, Thames Valley Police is adapting to the different ways people now wish to make contact with us to ensure we continue to meet the changing needs of the diverse communities we serve. These changes do not affect police officer numbers, nor the number of operational police bases, So you will not experience any difference in the ongoing commitment we have to visible policing in our Thames Valley communities. There will continue to be good geographic coverage of front counters across the Thames Valley if you need to access one. Andrew Prosser, Green Party candidate for Whitney North, said, The closure of the front desk in the police station will not be welcomed by residents in Whitney who are already concerned about the speed and response rate of police to antisocial behaviour, speeding incidents and general disorder. It is also unacceptable that people who have to report to the police station should have to travel to Oxford or even Banbury. Liberal Democrat District Councillor Dan Levy said, I don't think it's a good idea to close the front counters here or anywhere else as they play a crucial role in our community. It goes to show that Thames Valley Police has been starved of funding over the years. Local Labour Party leader Duncan Enright said, We've lost so many police services over the last few years, and this feels like another blow to policing. We want to see funding into policing to make more communities a safer place, and that includes our front counters. Marilyn Davis, Cabinet Member for Communities and Housing at West Oxfordshire District Council, said positives could be taken from the closure. She said, Policing has to evolve with the changing ways in which we communicate and must direct resources accordingly. While front counters are seen as reassuring, they may not be the best way to serve the public, and so it's right for the police to explore new ways to do this, while maintaining a visible presence in our communities, one which is crucial for us to feel safe and protected. Front counters at Oxford, Abingdon and Banbury will be retained. However, there may be changes to opening hours. TVP reported that more and more people are contacting the force online and by phone. If you are required to sign on bail at a front counter affected by closure, you will need to attend another front front counter location. Contact TVP on the non-emergency number 101. In an emergency, dial 999. You'll leave a rather disturbing story, I think. Yes, this one comes from Carterton, 
and is about a woman pulled from her bicycle. Cyclists heading home alone in the dark are being warned to be cautious after a woman was dragged off her bike and wrestled to the ground by a stranger. She was able to run to a house screaming for help and call the police. Writing on the Spotted Whitney Facebook page, an anonymous user shared details of the incident. For anyone who lives in Carterton, I am writing this on behalf of my friend who was attacked on Saturday night. At 22.15, she was cycling home and at the top of Swinbrook Road, where it meets Brieswood, she was pulled off her bike by a male and wrestled to the floor. She managed to fight him off and run to a house nearby where some wonderful people got her inside. The man who lives there even chased after the attacker but didn't catch him. She said she screamed, help and get me off. If anyone heard anything in that area around that time, or has ring doorbell CCTV, please can you check it? She has come some injuries and is okay. Please be vigilant if you are walking, cycling on your own in the dark. Witnesses can call on 101, citing reference 432-101-74426. Rescuers get new 4x4 car. Efforts to find missing people in Oxfordshire will be boosted thanks to the purchase of a new support vehicle. Lowland Rescue Oxfordshire, OxASR, has brought into service a 4x4 vehicle, custom-fitted for their needs. The Toyota Hilux was purchased thanks to grants from the Tesco Centenary Bags of Help scheme, a special version of Bags of Help to celebrate Tesco's 100th birthday in 2019, and the National Lottery, which previously supported fitting out the team's incident control unit. It will help the team in accessing difficult terrain while searching for vulnerable missing people, assist with launching and towing the team's rescue boats, and help move search teams across large geographic areas. It will also become a huge asset in assisting the team with their resilience work, including provided providing 4x4 support in poor weather in conditions such as flooding and heavy snowfall. On behalf of Oxfordshire County Council and local NHS services, including Oxford University Hospitals. And we have another story from Bryce Norton Stroke Carterton. It's headed Application for New 200 Home Estate Provokes Big bash- Backlash. Dozens of objections have been made against plans to build 200 homes near RAF Bryce Norton. In June, plans to build 214 new homes were refused by West Oxfordshire District Council. The applicant, Partner Construction, has now come back with a new proposal for the vacant site south of Milestone Road in Carterton. Documents say all 200 homes will be affordable, made up of social rented housing, 41.5%, shared ownership, 27.5%, affordable rent, 25%, and buy-to-rent, 6%. Previous concerns related to the layout of the development, including consideration of parking and requirement for open space and a play area. A planning statement by the agent Williams Gallagher says, Following the refusal of the previous application, the applicant has undertaken further consultation with the local planning authority and with Oxfordshire County Council as highway and education authorities, and as ecology advisor. Despite this, 36 objections have been made online to the plans on publication. Residents have been commenting on the proposals through the WODC website. Paul Hughes said the development reflected a problem across Carterton. He said, as seems to be the case throughout Carterton, Too many houses are trying to be squeezed into too small a space and the impact on the local transport networks, education, healthcare, green infrastructure, pollution and biodiversity are not being seriously looked at. Meanwhile, Theresa Whitford raised concerns about traffic on the local area and the impact on the environment. 
how can Milestone Road possibly support another, possibly 400 cars a day, especially at peak times, when it is already used by many commuters travelling to RAF Bryce Norton? I also feel for our wildlife. Plans for the 200 homes show the proposed development consisting of 36 flats and 164 houses. The flats are a mixture of one and two bedrooms, while the houses could range from one bedroom to four. The site is at the southern edge of Carterton and the north of RAF Bryce Norton, which forms the site's southern boundary. Now, three pieces of news in brief. Man found after police released CCTV on assault. Police say they have tracked down a man they wanted to question when they released a CCTV image following an alleged sexual assault in Sainsbury's in Whitney. A man was said to have sexually touched a shopper in the Whitten Way store at about 2.45pm on Sunday last week. Writing in an update following their appeal for witnesses and information, police thanked the media and public for sharing the request for help in their investigation. Police warn of cyclists. Police have warned, we can't be everywhere, but we could be anywhere, following a safety exercise. The Thames Police Valley Police Roads policing team shared the message after colleagues from Hampshire were involved in a cycling safety operation in Oxford. Members of the Hampshire team tweeted, Early start for a close pass operation in Oxford. Giving cyclists safe space is not optional. Patience and respect for each other as road users is key at all times. And finally, Green King reopening. Nine more Green King pubs in Oxfordshire will reopen on Thursday ahead of the bank holiday weekend. One of these pubs is in West Oxfordshire, Ye Old Cross Keys in Whitney. Some pubs will have reduced opening hours and menus. This information, along with how to book, will have been updated on individual pubs' websites. Our next story comes from Woodstock and is headed Vandalism Putting Safety of Children at Risk, says FC Coach. Broken glass left by vandals on a football pitch, is putting young children at risk of harm, the Cubs head coach said. Training staff at Woodstock Town FC arrived to train under sixes and sevens last weekend and found broken bottles littered on the grass and in the dugouts. After carrying out a safety inspection and removing all the debris, they were able to resume training with no harm to the children but head coach Liam Walker described it as soul-destroying and said, we had spent the last few weeks getting our COVID protocols in place, but the irony was what caused the most danger was the smashed and broken glass all over the pitch. It took absolutely ages to clear up, and we can't guarantee that we got every piece, as it was smashed up into very small pieces. It's completely needless and mindless behaviour that is putting the safety of little children at risk. It's the latest in a series of incidents of vandalism and antisocial behaviour that have plagued the club during the past year of lockdown. Last June, there was an attempted break-in at the club, causing damage to doors, which the police attended. And last July, around ten local teens were caught on the CCTV in the process of lighting a bonfire on the training pitch. Mr Walker said, We've had young people trespassing and the clubhouse door was kicked through. We've had two attempted break-ins and numerous incidents of criminal damage. The fence around the pitch perimeter was broken. We know that it's local use, aged 15, 16 and 17, and there's evidence of alcohol and cannabis use. Now there's graffiti, which is just the latest in a long litany of issues. The field at New Road is a private venue, but the club allows the community to use it. However, they now say they're forced to seriously consider restricting access. Mr Walker added, The cost of repairs is running into two or three thousand pounds now. The replacement doors for the clubhouse was a significant cost. 
We're a small non-league club. On Facebook, he wrote, If you know anyone who might be involved, please have a word with them. Permanent post office ahead for Burford. A permanent post office will reopen in Burford in early summer. The new branch will be at 29 Lower High Street, next door to the current temporary post office. It will be open seven days a week and customers of UK banks will be able to use it to access accounts. Services will include bill payment, cash withdrawals and foreign currency, postage and internet shopping collections and returns. It will also sell magazines and newspapers. A temporary post office is currently based in the Delhi Bumbles of Burford and operators Steve and Sally Coulter have taken on the extra premises for a new branch. There will be a complete refurbishment to create a modern, open-plan retail environment with a ramp for wheelchair access. Opening hours are Monday to Sunday, 7am to 5.30pm. The existing branch will close on May the 29th at 1pm and the new branch will open on Tuesday, June the 1st at 1pm. Burford's previous post office closed last December after the resignation of the postmaster and the withdrawal of the premises for post office use. Dighton is headed police canoe to capital for terminally ill pal. Police officers are canoeing 130 miles from Lechlade to London to raise funds for a 43-year-old friend and colleague with terminal cancer. It's the first event organised by Shield Run, which was set up in the past two months by Lawrence East, who was diagnosed with incurable pancreatic cancer in September. Thames Valley Police Sergeant and Dad of Four, Lawrence, who lives in Minster Lovell, is keen, with the time he has left, to raise as much money and awareness as possible. He's joining the gruelling expedition during a break in his chemotherapy. Six TVP police officers left Lechlade at 10am on Friday and completed an epic 20-mile paddle to Babelock, and by late afternoon on Saturday they'd reached Oxford. They camped overnight in Oxford and were up at 5am on Sunday and got back on the river at 8.30 to set off again to head for a campsite in Benson, another 20 miles. The plan is to spend six to eight hours a day paddling, they hope to reach Teddington by Thursday. Lawrence's friend and colleague, Jim Holmes, said Friday was really good, but the wind was a big factor. They were going straight into it, and that was quite difficult. But the locks were fine, as they were all staffed, so they didn't have to get out of their canoes. Although there were a few sore shoulders and backs this morning, they're in really good spirits, and the weather has been brilliant. We slept really well at the campsite, which was lovely. It was hard to believe we were in the middle of Oxford. Mr East and Mr Holmes have been friends for 25 years, since they were 17 and played rugby together. Mr East met his wife Amy, a nurse at the JR, at Oxford Brooks Uni, and they have children Jacob, 16, Samuel, 14, Neve, 10, and Oria, 9. On the Shield Run uh, website, Mr East wrote, Life's got... Turned upside down in September. No huge symptoms, tiredness, weight loss and some gastro problems. Following an acute episode and a trip to A&E, the CT scan revealed the lesions. Boom. 43-year-old, in the consultant's words, this will significantly shorten your life. Mr East started fundraising soon after, and last November he and Jacob ran a mile a day for 24 days, wearing 17-kilogram public order protective kit. And lockdown permitting, on June the 12th, Mr East plans to cycle 102 kilometres from London to Brighton overnight and off-road. Of his friend's diagnosis, Mr Holmes said, It came out of the blue. Lawrence had been ill for a few weeks, and then he came out with, I've got pancreatic cancer, and it spread to a couple of places. They're going to treat it, but it's going to be palliative treatment. He added, I remember seeing an advertisement saying one in five people will get cancer and thinking I'm 38, I don't have to worry about that. And now it's landed on our doorstep. 
Other police forces are also taking part in Shield Run, and the total raised so far is nearly £9,000. Go to shieldrun.org to donate. No new COVID-19 deaths reported for one week across country, county districts. No new coronavirus deaths have been recorded in Oxfordshire for the seven days leading up to Monday. According to Public Health England, nobody has died within 28 days of a positive test result in the county for more than a week. There were 1,781 patients in hospital in the UK who had tested positive for coronavirus. Of those, 243 were on ventilation. This can be compared to a month ago when on March the 25th, 5,407 patients were on ventilation in hospitals across the UK. At Oxford University Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust, no patients were admitted to hospital on Monday, bringing the total of people who have tested positive who are currently in hospital in the county to three. Of those, nobody is on ventilation. At Oxford Health NHS Foundation Trust, there are no patients who have tested positive for the virus at any community or mental health hospitals in Oxfordshire. In a daily update, PHE revealed 26 people tested positive for COVID-19 in Oxfordshire in the 24 hours to 4pm on Monday. Here are the number of people who have tested positive for COVID-19 in the 24 hours up to 9am on Monday. Oxford 5, Vale of Whitehorse 14, Jowell 1, West Oxfordshire none, South Oxfordshire 3, Oxfordshire 14. The rate of infection in Oxfordshire now stands at 4,869 cases per 100,000 people, lower than the England average of 6,832. And we're back to Woodstock again for our next item, which is headed, Council Clears Up Local Nature Reserve Status. Confusion over the official status of a nature reserve has been clarified by the council. Last month, West Oxfordshire District Council gave Woodstock Town Council the authority to declare a local nature reserve at Woodstock Water Meadows. However, the old Woodstock line has signs displaying it as a local nature reserve. A spokesman for WODC said Woodstock does not have a formally designated local nature reserve with the next nearest being at Kirtlington Quarry. The spokesman added, any site can be informally referred to as a nature reserve to highlight its importance for wildlife, particularly with local people. But a local nature reserve must be formally recognised by Natural England as a statutory designation. This means there must be a formal designation process with an application made to Natural England. The spokesman continued, to qualify for local nature reserve status, a site must be of importance for wildlife, geology, education and or public enjoyment. Local nature reserves must be controlled by a local authority through ownership, lease or agreement with the owner. For example, the Wildlife Trust owns and manages several nature reserves in Oxfordshire, but these are not necessarily also designated as local nature reserves. Woodstock Water Meadows is identified as a local wildlife site, which is a non-statutory local designation. These are identified and allocated as part of a project that is overseen by the Wildlife Trust. The Wildlife Trust carries out the site survey and assessments, liaises with landowners and provides habitat and species management advice. Local wildlife sites are recognised by the District Council as part of the local plan and receive some protection from development. There are over 1,000 local nature reserves in England, with two in West Oxfordshire, Cressy Hill and the Saltway. Chippy Fire Crew's 13 call-outs in a month. The Chipping Norton Fire Crew has been busy and already attended 13 call-outs this month. 
They varied from alarms to fires in the open and also included chimney fire. During the jobs, they worked with a crew from Oxford's Ruley Road Fire Station who brought the aerial platform to assist with access at the chimney fire and a 4x4 crew from Burford Fire Station who helped with the woodland fire. The crew tweeted, Even though it is only April, it's been dry and the risk of grass fires is high, so please be careful with cigarettes, bonfires and barbecues. It only takes one stray spark to spread a fire. Chipping Norton Fire Station is an on-call station with two rescue vehicles and is not manned 24 hours a day. In 2019, fires in the area included a bin lorry blaze on London Road, Chipping Norton, in September, which shut part of the A44. In August, staff had to be evacuated after machinery caught fire at the premises of FWP Matthews Flour Millers in Station Road, Shipton under Witchwood. Fire crews from Burford, Chipping Norton and Whitney were called to the scene when a shrink-wrapping machine caught fire. That year, potential firefighters were put through their paces during the station's have-a-go day, which gave people an insight into becoming an on-call firefighter. During the gruelling six-hour day, potential new recruits climbed ladders, used the rolling-out hose and simulated wearing breathing apparatus. Taster days have not been possible during the pandemic, but the service is developing plans for virtual information days, allowing residents to get an understanding of what is involved and how to apply. Oxfordshire's Chief Fire Officer spoke about improving diversity when he spoke to county councillors at their Cabinet meeting last week. Rob McDougall, Chief Fire Officer for Oxfordshire County Council's Fire and Rescue Service, explained why it can be difficult to recruit people from underrepresented groups in more rural locations. He said, Firefighters need to live or work close to their local fire stations, ready to respond to emergency call-outs. This further limits the potential people we can recruit from and makes it even more important to make sure that everyone understands the amazing opportunity and experiences that can come from being an on-call firefighter. Over 8% of Oxfordshire's firefighters Oxfordshire's firefighters are female, slightly higher than the 7% national average. But Mr McDougall said he is determined to improve the figure. Fire doesn't discriminate, and neither do we. If you want a rewarding career as part of your local firefighting team, we want to hear from you. And now three more pieces of brief news. First one headed, Plans for Flats at Café, Hackett's Clarification. Last week, the Whitney Gazette ran a story on plans for flats at Hackett's in Whitney. The article did not clarify that Dave Hackett was no longer a tenant at the restaurant and that the current plans have been put forward by Maple Homes. Also, it was not correct to say that new plans have been put forward for a two-storey side extension, as those plans were already approved by West Oxfordshire District Council. The plans now under discussion are for two extra flats. We apologise for the confusion. The second item is called Walking Festival Return. The Chilterns Walking Festival will be returning with more than 80 walks and outdoor events, Running from May the 22nd to June the 6th, the walks will help people explore the landscape, villages, nature and heritage of the Chilterns. The activities and events are designed to appeal to different age groups, interests and levels of fitness. The festival hosts activities and fitness families discovering history and sampling local drinks and produce. The third item, police asking for knives. Amnesty bins will be placed in three Oxfordshire police stations to help crack down on knife crime. Police are taking part in Operation Scepter, 
which runs uh, the knife amnesty between April the 26th and May the 2nd. The public will be able to safely dispose of bladed articles in Abingdon, Oxford and Banbury police stations. New £4 million psychiatric centre for counties children taking shape. Work has started on a multi-million pound psychiatric intensive care unit, PICU, in Oxford that will be essential for young people across the county. The new eight-bed ward at the Warnford Hospital will allow young people experiencing the most acutely disturbed phase of a serious mental disorder to get specialist help closer to home. Oxford Health NHS Foundation Trust's £4 million building, which is supported by NHS England funding, is set to be built alongside the award-winning Highfield Adolescent Inpatient Unit at the hospital in Headington. The new unit will provide inpatient mental health care, assessment and comprehensive treatments for young people across the Thames Valley. Oxford Health says it is part of an innovative model for the delivery of specialised mental health care for children and young people, which is led by the Trust. Working alongside other care providers, it has been hailed as a pioneering approach that seeks to share resources and expertise to to deliver joined-up care. Debbie Richards, Executive Managing Director of Mental Health, learning disabilities and autism, commenting on the future of the service, said, This specialist PICU unit is essential so that the young people can be cared for as close to home as possible to ensure the best possible outcomes. We have seen an increase in demand and acuity during COVID-19. As the the lead provider for the Thames Valley, Our clinicians are constantly managing regional and local pressures on beds. This additional capacity will be a most welcome and timely addition. Set to open at the beginning of next year, service users will be consulted in developing the interior look and layout of the PICU ahead of the opening. A recruitment campaign will also be launched soon to ensure that the necessary specialist workforce is in place. The core objectives of the new facility include assessing and treating mental disorders, reducing the risk of harm a young person poses to themselves and others, and managing acute mental and behavioural disturbance. It will also provide a time-limited, days or weeks, intervention, which it says will allow a safe transition to an appropriate alternative mental health setting as soon as this is possible. Road repairs contract extended by two years. A roadworks contract for Oxfordshire will be extended with the end cost expected to be £100 million. Road maintenance contract with construction firm Skanska was due to expire on the 31st of March 2023 but will now run until March 2025, after Oxfordshire County Council's Cabinet signed off on an extension. The total costs of the contract from the 2022-23 financial year to the 2024-25 year is £100 million, when adding up ongoing revenue costs and big project capital costs. The Council's Assistant Director of Operations, Paul Firmer, said the extension could be an opportunity for new ways of working, particularly around carbon reduction. The extension was also welcomed by Labour's opposition highway spokesman Damien Haywood, but he called on Tory leader Ian Hudspeth to lobby the government for more funding for county roads. He said, We are very short on resource, and that can only come with significant more cash. Mr Hudspeth said he would lobby for the money at any available opportunity. 
Now, hopefully you should get this memory stick on Saturday the 1st of May. And this week's editor's reflection is taken from Julie Godson's book on this day in Oxfordshire, and it refers to an event on the 1st of May, 1847. On this day in 1847, a licence was granted for a lottery to allocate shares in the chartable allotments near Minster Lovell. Soon after 1842, Chartist leader Fergus O'Connor's National Land Company purchased 244 acres adjoining the Bryce Norton Road. O'Connor hoped to take families away from factory living or unemployment in towns and to set them up to be self-supporting on land in the countryside, thereby also giving them sufficient property to entitle them to vote. The Minster Lovell estate was built by national subscription. Land on both sides of the road and elsewhere were divided into 78 plots of between two and four acres of arable and a small cottage. Settlers came from as far afield as Canterbury, London and the northern manufacturing towns, though the experiment was at first unsuccessful because the allotments were too small to support a family and the new tenants weren't used to working the land. But by 1851-52, many of the original tenants had left, and the National Land Company itself became bankrupt and was later dissolved, and local farmers bought or rented the plots, often cultivating them in addition to other land, and so Charterville became more prosperous towards the end of the 19th century. A visitor in 1861 described it as a large collection of cottages, all inhabitants, by, by all inhabitants which are labourers and little farmers, mostly exhibiting comfort, cleanliness and good order, and noted with evident approval both the presence, the presence of nonconformist meetings and the absence of an alehouse. Social facilities also included a school built by O'Connor. Many of the cottages have now been modernised within an inch of their lives, but one or two remained defiantly unprettified. And now it's time for this week's notice board, and there are no birthdays to announce in the coming week. And our grateful thanks to Mrs Cole for your very kind donation. And also thanks to many of you who've sent letters of appreciation saying how much you now appreciate having the memory sticks back again. And finally on notice board we have this week's deaths and there are just two of them to announce and they are on the 16th of April Michael John Cook aged 88 on the 18th of April Barbara Elizabeth Hawes of New Yacht and our sincere condolences to all family and friends of the deceased. Now at the end of this broadcast we shall include news of radio programmes that you can tune into during the coming week. And now of course it's uh, quiz time. And first of all we have the answers to last week's questions. <clears throat> and because last week uh, was St George's Day and it was Shakespeare, Shakespeare's birthday, all the questions were about Shakespeare. Question one, what was the name of Shakespeare's wife and how many children did they have? And now you all know the first one, which was Anne Hathaway, but I didn't know that he had three children. Second question, what was the name of Shakespeare's London Theatre, which has recently was recently been uh, rebuilt about 20 years ago now, and it's the Globe. And can you tell which play this famous quotation comes from? Be not afraid of greatness, some are born great, some achieve greatness, and others have greatness thrust upon them. And it comes from Twelfth Night. Question 4. William Shakespeare died in 1616 on which feast day? And of course it was St George's Day, which was his birthday, wasn't it, as well? 
Um, and finally, without taking into account any lost plays or collaborations, how many plays did William Shakespeare write? Now, this is one that I would never have known, and it was 37, apparently. Okay, so now it's this week's questions, and uh, they're all fairly brief. Question one. The name of which European capital city is derived from the names of two towns on either bank of its main river? Question two. Which English cathedral has the tallest spire? Question three. Which name is given to the home of a badger? Question four. Which river flows through the city of Dublin? And finally, question five. In which British city is the Crucible Theatre famous for hosting snooker tournaments which has just been completed? And the answer, next week. Uh, and just to remind you that as well as your memory stick that you're going to receive from us each week, hopefully in the coming weeks, there are several other ways for you to listen to all our editions, that including the magazines, and that includes Sonata Plus, email, internet, podcast and Alexa, and full details of all of those can be seen on our website, that's wtn.org.uk. Just follow the link, listen online. And we continue with our final four items of news. The first item is Wife's Tribute to Rock Husband Killed in Crash. An inquest on a plumber has ruled he died from multiple injuries following an A361 crash. Ewan Lever, 29, was on his way to a job on December the 9th when his van drifted into path of a Royal Mail lorry, killing him instantly. The father of two was driving round a bend at Signet near Burford when the van crossed onto the wrong side of the road, colliding head-on with the lorry. Coroner Darren Salter heard a partially eaten sandwich was on the passenger seat of the van. Mr Salter said, When met with the possibility of driver distraction or driver error, we cannot say why Ewan's vehicle crossed onto the wrong side of the road with such a devastating impact. It takes a second of inattention for something like this to happen. It is very sad indeed. The accident led to a three-way collision after a mother driving her children in a red Land Rover Discovery ploughed into the back of the Royal Mail lorry. The inquest heard the family in the Land Rover was unharmed, while the Royal Mail lorry driver was trapped in his truck before firefighters cut him free. He had serious injuries. In a statement to the inquest, pathologist Professor Ian Roberts confirmed Mr Lever, who was from Swindon, died from multiple injuries secondary to brain damage, having been certified dead at 8am at the scene. The coroner ruled that Mr. Drive, Mr. Lever had died as a result of a road traffic collision. Mr. Lever's widow, Abby, paid tribute to her husband, calling him one in a million. She said, Ewan was the most amazing husband and daddy to me and our girls, Ayla and Poppy. He has left the biggest hole in all of our lives. Everyone who had the honour of knowing Ewan will forever miss his loud, cheeky voice and his huge, kind heart. I have been so grateful for all the support I have been given over the last four months. Ewan's legacy will live on amongst us all. My husband, our world, our rock, really is one in a million. The company Mr Lever worked for, Citus Services, set up an online fundraising page to support his widow and young daughters. The page has so far raised almost £34,000. It says, Ewan left home to begin a normal day at work 
and tragically died due to a road traffic accident. Nobody should ever have to experience loss like this. Our next item is headed, Happy 20th Birthday for County Built Icon. Mini Plant Oxford is celebrating 20 years of producing the new Mini. The first new model rolled off the line in April 2001, and since then Mini has built over 5 million cars in the UK. The Oxford plant now builds the three-door hatch, five-door hatch, Clubman and Mini Electric on the same production line. Tom Fester, Future Models Integration Engineer, works for BMW Group on the design of new vehicles. He recalled, In those early days when the car was still being developed, I remember the target, body stiffness, were the the things we were aiming for. We knew then that our new Mini was going to be fun to drive even before we put an engine in it. When we started to drive those early production cars on the road... The public reaction was amazing. People young and old were openly pointing and smiling. Many plants Oxford and Swindon employ more than 4,500 workers, including 130 apprentices. They build more than 1,000 minis a day, one every 67 seconds. IT engineer Jason Field has an excellent knowledge of the history of the, the plant. He met his wife Tanya on his apprenticeship with Rover, and Tanya's great-grandfather lent William Morris the money he needed to start the factory. Together, they run multiple mini-owners clubs. He said, Working in IT, we had just completed a busy year for the Millennium Bug and were hoping for a quieter year. From June 2000 to the start of production in April 2001, we ended up replacing the entire network infrastructure, telephony system, and installed thousands of cables in the refurbished production halls. Mini Plant Oxford has been the heart of the community for 108 years and recently has become a tourist destination with 26,000 Mini fans enjoying the award-winning plant tours. With the Mini Electric going into production last year, the plant is already electrified and in the early 2030s Mini will be the first BMW brand to go fully electric. Mick Fisher is the longest-standing employee and helped set up when BMW purchased the brand. He said, One of my lasting memories from the early days is the amount of support and lasting friendships I received from what was then our sister plant in Regensburg. It helped us to build a new maintenance team in mini-assembly, which continues to this day. Ex-Mayor outraged after being kicked out of Zoom. In scenes reminiscent of the Hanforth Parish Council meeting, which took the internet by storm earlier this year, a councillor was kicked out of a virtual town meeting. The Carterton Town Council meeting last week descended into chaos after its former mayor was removed while speaking. Lynn Little said she was chopped off after raising concerns about an application on the agenda Therefore, her vote was not able to count. Earlier this year, a bitter row between Mrs Little and the council was resolved after accusations of her misappropriating public funds were dismissed. Meanwhile, the town's current mayor, Nick Gleverton, said that allegations of bullying made by Mrs Little were found to be unfounded and that case also dismissed. Last Tuesday... Mrs Little was raising concerns about funding for a local food food bank when she was kicked out of the Zoom meeting. At the beginning of the meeting, the council passed a resolution authorising the chairman to remove anyone who disrupted the meeting. Town Council Clerk Ron Spurs said, Looking at what was said at the meeting, Councillor Little was not discussing the application on the agenda but a food bank she works with. There was a brief heated discussion between her and the chairman and Councillor Little was removed. The chairman felt that her tone was disruptive and instructed a member of staff to remove her. Earlier in the meeting, a member of the public says he was also turned off, 
However, the council denies this. Former West Oxfordshire District Councillor Harry Watts said, I was allowed to watch the meeting, but when they got to the public participation bit, they turned me off. He added, This wasn't the first time either. They're enjoying this. Mr Spurs said Mr Watts was not excluded and denied the accusation that the council was enjoying removing people from meetings. Mr Spurs said he was admitted to the meeting and during the public participation element of the meeting he did not state he wished to speak. During the town council meeting in February, Mr Watts was however removed with council minutes stating he wished to speak on an item that was not on the agenda and was therefore removed. Mr Spurs said, The council's standing orders state that members of the public are permitted to make representations, answer questions and give evidence in respect of any item of business included in the agenda. And our last item this evening is an uplifting one, headed... Little Ava is crowned national champ with her caddy daddy. A youngster from Oxfordshire has become a national golf champion despite having to do most of her training indoors during the pandemic. Ava Fagan-Smith, 10, from Woodstock, took the Junior British Masters Under-12s champion title on April the 15th, winning the first junior major of the year. The scoring was tight throughout and, but Ava and her caddy, who is also her father, clinched the win on the final hole by sinking a seven-foot putt. Her margin of victory was at one shot and one point. Her father, Aaron Bowman-Smith, said, The family and I are extremely proud of her achievements. This is her fourth and biggest win to date, and things couldn't be better for her. I'm very proud of the person she is becoming, and the effort she puts into all she does. Ava and I have built a great relationship when playing competitive golf and within training. It's an emotional game, so helping each other keep level-headed, positive and focused is the key to the success she's now having. Golf courses and sports clubs have been closed during lockdowns, but this has not stopped the young sportswoman from practising for the game. To aid her efforts, the family converted a bedroom into a putting and chipping area for Ava and her younger sister, Sienna, to practice in. They also went out into local fields around Woodstock to improve their skills. Mr Bowman-Smith added, I made it fun by playing games like Aim for Dad from a fair distance. Mind you, they did have great accuracy now. Ava, who goes to Woodstock Primary School, started playing golf when she was six with her sister. It started when their father took them to the Oxford Golf Centre in Botley just for a bit of fun, and they both loved the experience. Their father said they took the sport quite naturally, and he booked a group lesson for them the following week. Before long, the children had progressed to Girls Golf Rocks group lessons at Kirklington Golf Club under the watch of golf, golf coach Andy Taylor. Her father added... Once I'd seen the real potential in both Ava and Sienna, and after speaking to the girls individually, I made a decision that we were going to go all out and do it properly and make something of it. The sisters have been having weekly lessons with ladies' European tour player Maria Tully for 18 months now, training with the Studley Wood Golf Club to the north of Oxford. Ava's father said, Ava loves golf, but it hasn't always been that way from time to time. She's really battled through difficult learning processes to associate it with learning how to play golf to an elite junior standard and is still nearly learning every day what the benefits uh, are to being dedicated. But he added, she also loves the fashion. Being crowned under 12's British Masters has shown Ava what's possible and what comes with hard work and she loves every second of it. She has a good life balance and she has fun playing golf, which is the most important factor at such an age. Ava currently represents Kirtlington and Sudley Wood Golf Clubs. She also plays on the British Junior Tour, the European Junior Tour and the Robert Rock Junior Tour.
I think that must have been the first local sports story we've had for about a year, mustn't it? Uh, well, that's all we've got time for. So please remove your memory stick from the playback unit and close that metal shield. Remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before you post it back to us. And could you please do so as soon as possible because we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and are then unable to continue our service to you. Oh, and remember that if you do wish to contact us, just leave a slip of paper in your pouch and we'll telephone you. Now, it only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette for the stories we've used tonight. Thanks also to our technical expert, Gavin, and our copiers are again going to be Gavin and Valerie. Uh, they're going to be copying the memory sticks and uh, also to our volunteers who've been checking the pouches and the memory sticks that you've returned and keeping records in our register. They were Doreen Turner and uh, Marnie Leach. And finally, our two readers, that's Valerie and Nigel. And I know we'd all like to say goodbye and so until our next edition, goodbye. TNF Soundings Features from across the UK. Now for a look at this coming week's radio highlights. And we start with Saturday, May 1st. A poignant drama about two Tyneside women, drawn to London for their very different reasons. Entitled South on the Great North Road, it's at three o'clock on Radio 4. It's inspired by Sting's song, Heading South on the Great North Road, and includes an a cappella performance by him. Over to Radio 3 at 6.30 for Opera on 3, which features Gluck's Orfeo ed Eurydice, based on the myth of Orpheus and performed by Opera North. Then another chance to hear Rufus Hound talking to Jenny Murray, the former presenter of Woman's Hour, as she recalls her teenage years in the always very entertaining My Teenage Diary, 7.15 on Radio 4. Archive on 4 at 8pm on Radio 4 looks back on the hunger strikes in the Mays prison in the 1980s, with Wednesday marking the 40th anniversary of the death of IRA member Bobby Sands. Sunday, May 2nd, The Reunion at 11am on Radio 4, and Kirsty Walk this week brings together members of the band Madness, to explore a musical journey of more than 40 years. If you miss it, it's repeated on Friday, May 7th at 9am. Sounds an absolute cracker. There's a two-part drama at 3pm on Radio 4. Tom Stoppard's Rosencrantz and Gilderstein are dead. An absurdist tragedy comedy about two minor characters from Shakespeare's Hamlet who are condemned to an existence in the wings with no control over their destinies. Part 2 is next Sunday. Three music programmes to consider this Sunday. Sunday night is Music Night, 7pm, Radio 2. And you can listen again to the 2017 live concert from the Cheltenham Jazz Festival, celebrating the story of soul. The BBC Concert Orchestra and Guy Barker Big Band and vocalists perform musical gems associated with Ray Charles, Otis Redding, Etta James, Aretha Franklin, Diana Ross, Sam Cooke, Marvin Gaye and James Brown. That would be a heck of a lineup. At 8pm on Radio 3, the BBC Young Musician Final, three soloists compete to win the most prestigious prize for young classical musicians in Great Britain. And back to Radio 2 at 9, for Seb Coe, a day without jazz is like a day without running, in which to mark this weekend's online edition of the Cheltenham Jazz Festival, the former Olympic runner plays his favourite recordings. Onto those programmes then that are broadcast each day at the same time, every day, weekday, Monday to Friday. So same time, same radio station, every day, Monday to Friday. You got it. Three novels, two readings and one dramatisation to tell you about. So Book of the Week at 9.45 each day on Radio 4 is The King's Painter, The Life and Times of Hans Holbein. Simon Russell Beale reads Franny Moyle's history of Henry VII's youngest court painter. It's repeated every night at half past midnight. The 15-minute drama at 10.45am each day on Radio 4 is Hardy's Women, The Woodlanders. Dramatisation of Thomas Hardy's novel in which Marty South tells no one of her love for Giles Winterbourne. 
Just after midday, each day, Indira Varma reads from John McGregor's new novel, Lean, Fall and Stand, on Radio 4. When an Antarctic research expedition goes wrong, the consequences are far-reaching for the men involved and their families. Again repeated every night at 10.45. Composer of the week at 12 noon each day on Radio 3 is American Aaron Copeland, 1900 to 1990. His most productive decade was the 1940s, during which, with his initial trip to Mexico, the composer found cultural riches that spurred him to, quote, awaken the spiritual consciences of the people in their music. And back to Radio 4 each day, 1.45 for Laws That Aren't Laws. Robin Ince looks at nebulous laws and principles that govern our lives, even when we don't believe they're true. The first programme covers Murphy's Law, which states, what ever can go wrong will go wrong. Hopefully not at the moment. It's bank holiday weekend, so bank holiday fairings, Monday, May 3rd. There's a new series on Radio 4 at 6.30, Nature Table, in which comedian Sue Perkins is joined by Chris Packham, Michaela Strachan and Desiree Birch for a nature-themed comedy panel show recorded at London Zoo. If you miss it, it's on next Sunday. Then at 8pm on Radio 4 comes Tricky, Does Your Vote Matter? It does in simple numerical terms, but what if the party you favour has no chance of getting in? Well, you can't find anyone you want to vote for. Is it then worth voting? Discuss. Finally, for Monday, May 3rd, the Prime Minister at 300. Another chance to hear historian Anthony Seldon's recent three-part series in which he considers the role of Prime Ministers going back 300 years to Robert Walpole. It's on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday this week at 11.30pm on Radio 4. Tuesday, May 4th, Life on Hold at 11.30am on Radio 4 follows five people as they navigate their way through mental health services. Among them is Jessie, a frontline worker who started experiencing anxiety while working to help those with coronavirus. And Matt, whose ongoing battle with depression became worse after losing his job at the start of the pandemic. Drama at 2.15 on Radio 4 is An Angel in Miami. Amir Hernandez runs a top Miami club, drives a purple convertible and has a beautiful business partner. But when his special celebrity guest fails to show up, the punters become restless. Radio 3 in Concert at 7.30pm features three composers who reveal the power that Scotland's history, landscape and folklore have over them in a concert recorded on April 25th at the Barbican in London. Includes Davis's An Orkney Wedding with Sunrise. Beamish's Viola Concerto No. 3, Under the Wing of the Rock, and Mendelssohn's Symphony No. 3 in A. Back to Radio 4 at 8pm for One Night in March. A report into the case of Anthony Granger, who, when unarmed, was shot and killed in a Greater Manchester Police operation in 2012. The story is told by Anthony's partner Gail and his mother Marina. 8.40, In Touch, with Peter White, as it's Tuesday, and finally for Tuesday, May 4th, Jazz Show with Jamie Cullen. And again, highlights from this year's online Cheltenham Jazz Festival. Radio 2, 9pm. Wednesday, May 5th, in Life Changing at 9am on Radio 4, Jane Garvey talks to people about extraordinary turning points in their lives. It's the story of Keith Williams, who was born in 1952 and brought up as the son of a coal merchant in South Wales. Then at the age of 13, he found out he'd been adopted, but it was only in his 40s that he set out to find his birth parents, a journey of self-discovery that took him to Malaysia. Drama at 2.15 on Radio 4 is Comrade Ackland and I, fact-based drama set in 1936 in which poet Valentine Ackland and best-selling writer Sylvia Townsend Warner have their rural idyll interrupted by the sudden arrival of a young tourist involved in a car accident. Radio 3 in Concert features harpsichordist Mahan Estahani in a performance of 24 mini masterworks by Bach, the well-tempered Clavier Book 1, recorded in April at Wigmore Hall in London. PJ Woodhouse fans will enjoy the inimitable PJ Woodhouse at 9pm on Radio 4 Extra. Alexander Armstrong celebrates the author's humorous works with his characters brought to life by Simon Cadell, Michael Horndon and Richard Bryars. And a new series on Radio 4 at 11pm is Jamie MacDonald, Life on the Blink. Comedian Jamie found himself going blind in his teens 
and he reveals how he used humour to turn denial into acceptance. Thursday, May 6th, Thinking in Colour, 11.30am, Radio 4, journalist Gary Young explores how racial identity upends the methods of recognising and categorising human beings by skin colour. The afternoon concert on Radio 3 at 2pm features one of Massenet's most popular operas, Manon. Let's go. A well-meaning young man is led astray by his love for a young woman he finds irresistible. There are many other young men who also fall for her, some willing to buy her with offers of a luxurious lifestyle. Drama at 2.15 on Radio 4 is a thriller by Peter Strickland, the third consecutive event in Talbot Lee. Exhausted new parents Jen and Tim have booked a short break at a high-tech luxury home with a voice-operated smart speaker system. But the weekend doesn't quite go to plan. 3pm Radio 4, a new series of ramblings. This week, Claire Balding accompanies best-selling author and children's laureate Cressida Cowell for a nostalgic walk in West Sussex, a six-mile route known as the Trundle Loop, which begins and ends in the village of Charlton. There is live football in the Europa League semi-finals. Roma versus Manchester United, Arsenal versus Villarreal, from 7 o'clock on Radio 5 Live. And Radio 3 at 7.30pm, if you'd like a little bit more peace and quiet. Radio 3 in concert. Here, the London Philharmonic Orchestra playing hugely popular works by Beethoven, Piano Concerto No. 5 in E-flat, and Sibelius's Symphony No. 7. Friday, May 7th. Drama, 2.15, Radio 4, Running With Lions by Sean Davila. The first of three half-hour plays performed by the Tuala Theatre Company, established in 1986, to tell stories reflecting black experiences. This story tells of a family dealing with grief against a backdrop of a church that not all the family members find joyous. A new series at 3.45 on Radio 4 is Empty Stages, a series of three short stories involving around life in the theatre. Put My Names in Lights by Lolita Chakrabarti. 82-year-old Gloria Grayson is due to make her West End comeback after 20 years, but the day before the press night, the pandemic closes all the theatres. 9pm on Radio 4, Meeting Myself Coming Back, in which public figures reflect on their careers. Alistair Campbell, Tony Blair's former press secretary, looks back at his time at the heart of government to his subsequent work as a mental health campaigner. And we round off this week's highlights on Friday, May 7th. Sit back, enjoy Margarita Taylor's choice of smooth classics, 10pm on Classic FM. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable week of radio listening. TNF Soundings Thank you.